Josie DeVidio is a woman with too much time on her hands and a curiosity to explore the human experience with a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears. Real talk, real people. This is Josieology. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Josieology. I am your host, Josie DeVidio. I am a mom, a podcaster, and a not-too-distant future empty nester. My guest today is Alice Agnello, a lifestyle and success coach that helps women figure out who they are now that their kids are grown and may not need them as much. Hey, Alice, welcome to the show. Hey, Josie, great to be here. So I was intrigued when I heard about what you did because my boys are 15 and 16, and I already find myself tearing up about it, you know, when I think about them leaving my house and not being here anymore. And, um, you know, <laughs> I'm having that trouble now, so I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when it actually happens. So when I heard that this was your area of expertise, I thought, you know what, this is a person I need to chat with. I want to be mentally prepared for it when it happens. Plus, I know that a lot of my listeners, uh, which by the way, my friends and I have decided that listeners of the Josiology podcast are officially called Josiologists. So, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so according to the statistics that my podcast host gives me, uh, most of my Josiologists are in the same boat as me because they're people, predominantly women, who are about my age range and likely have kids who have either left the nest already or are about to. So having said that, I'm excited to dive in today and give our listeners uh, some things to think about and consider because I have some friends who have already had their kids leave the house and even get married and I have watched them go through the emotional roller coaster of that and thinking, oh man, if, if she's having this hard of a time, I'm going to be a hot mess. So I'm excited to dive in today and give listeners some things to consider, things to prepare for, tips, tricks, whatever you got, we're going to take it because we need it. So Alice, I want to hear more about how you became a lifestyle and success coach and what led you to this particular area of expertise. So about um, when my eldest son was a junior in high school, I realized that I've got two years left to cram in as much information into him as possible to make sure that he could be a functioning adult when he left and went to college because his path was definitely the college route at that point. And at that point, I realized also that I have been struggling for a couple of years trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. What is my thing? What's going to make me excited? Because once my kids leave the house, even if they come back a couple of times and then leave again, my husband and I have another 20 to 30 years of our lives to do right. other things. It's not just, okay, they're gone and now we're still stuck here. I, I look at it as we're in our 40s, but yet we're almost kind of like in our 20s again, trying to figure out what we want to do now that we have all this extra wisdom of living you know, for 40 years. Right. I started kind of looking around and I found coaching. And I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I love helping people. I love giving advice. I love listening. I love trying to have women see the awesome person that they have inside that they've kind of denied for a number of years, or they can't even see anymore because they've put so much effort into their families at that point, And they've kind of lost themselves along the way. And it was funny because when I announced this to two of my girlfriends, 
they, uh, they both said, oh my gosh, this is perfect for you because this is what you've been doing for us for a number of years anyways. And so, because they'll always, you know, call me for help or trying to look at a situation in a different way. So that's where I kind of settled on it because I've also felt like this is where I was and I made it through the other side as my kids have transitioned out. So I have one who just graduated from college and my younger son is now a sophomore in college, but he didn't like the school that he went to as a freshman. So now he's home and living at home again and attending a local community college. And then we'll transfer again to a four-year where he really wants to go, uh, hopefully next year. So how should I personally be preparing for this dreaded empty nest? I mean, I'm assuming there are things I should be doing now to soften the blow when it comes. You're doing the right thing in the sense that you are recognizing the fact that it's going to happen. It's an awareness. Like people are, you know that there's an end date, right? You've had two boys and you gave birth to them. And at some point they're going to leave the house. Maybe they won't for a while. And I know in European countries, their families kind of stick together a little bit more, but you realize that it's going to happen and you need to start now because your boys are young enough to start looking at them and what do you still do for them that they may should be doing for themselves? Like, are you reaching out to their teachers for them? Are you washing their clothes for them? Are you cleaning their rooms? Do they know how to clean a toilet? Do they know how to go grocery shopping by themselves? Do they have a checking account and know how to use an ATM and pay for gas? You know, all these things we assume that because they're older, they should just know how to do these things. Yeah. But they don't. They're just like they're five and you're teaching them how to, you know, their ABCs and one, two, threes. It's the same exact thing. And I think if you start to kind of give them a little bit more freedom and step back a little bit, which is really hard to do. I'm still struggling with that <laughs> even now. Yeah. Um, it'll help you with the transition. And there's no guarantee of how you're going to feel once they are completely out, you know, but you're expecting it and you know it's going to happen and you can kind of prepare for it as you go. Yeah, you know, that's a good point because over the years I have taught my boys to do some household chores and they they know how to do their laundry and, you know, my older son now has a job and so we've gotten him a checking account and are teaching him how to do that. But until you just said it now, it didn't occur to me to teach them how to clean a toilet because yes, I am not going to be at their college dorm cleaning their toilet. Right. And I don't want to go visit them if it has not been cleaned since they moved in. (laughs) So yes, I need to teach them those things too. So I'm glad we're having this conversation because some of these things are obvious, right? Like I remember when they were younger, I taught them how to make, you know, themselves scrambled eggs or some kind of, you know, a variety of egg dishes for breakfast because, you know, sometimes they used to get up so early, like on the weekends and I'm like, mom wants to sleep in, like you're welcome to get up whenever you want, but if you're hungry, like make your own breakfast, you know? So some of the things I taught them were pretty obvious, but some of the things that you just naturally do in the house, just because you do it for your whole family, um, I haven't thought about that. So that's a great point to bring up. Let's talk about this for a second. Reaching out to their teachers on their behalf and speaking to administrators on their behalf and all that. For a long time, I felt bad about the fact that I, I'm like minimally involved with that stuff at school. I still have a lot of friends who get involved on their kids' behalf to speak to teachers and administrators and all that, which I understand the temptation if your child, if you think maybe your child can't handle that conversation, but at the same time, they can't, they can't, they will not learn how to handle it if you're doing it for them all the time. 
And I've always felt bad because I've been minimally involved in that with my kids. So whenever they come home and they say, oh, you know, I have to sign up for this event at school or this or that. And, and there are questions inevitably. And I'll say, okay, well, you need to go back and ask these things. So why don't you write it down and ask your teacher this or ask your teacher that. So I, I think that comes from my history because my parents are Italian immigrants and when, you know, I was born and raised here. So as a first generation Italian American, my parents were not able to help me with that stuff because they spoke English, I'm sorry, Italian predominantly as their first language. So I just kind of always took it upon myself to do it. So it never occurred to me to do that stuff for my kids, you know, other than like pay for stuff or sign papers. It never occurred to me to, you know, go talk to their counselor about classes or whatever. It was just kind of like, you need to go talk to your counselor and figure that out. And then let me know if you need me to sign something. So I felt really bad about that because sometimes parents will, or, you know, moms predominantly is who I speak with about this stuff, but they'll say, um, oh, well, what classes is your son taking in the fall? And I'm like, I have no idea. You know, like they signed up for it and we talked about it when they were choosing them, but I don't know what actually happened and we'll know when we pick up the schedule, you know. But having said that, most, uh, you know, it's always worked out and they've always gotten what they've needed and gotten good grades in it. And now I can see the value in having done that, even though it wasn't intentional, that they are pretty independent and they can take care of things on their own. So, you know, you don't have to helicopter everything, uh, listeners, especially as they're getting older. One of my favorite quotes about motherhood is that our job as a mother is to work ourselves out of a job you know, to teach our kids what they need to know so they don't need to be mothered anymore. Exactly. You want your kids always to come to you for advice. I mean, that's how my kids are. But I always tell them also, be careful of how, what you wish for because I'm going to always give you 100% the truth of what you want. So be careful Absolutely. if you really want my advice or not. I think also because of our generation of how we grew up, I didn't have constant communication with my mom. So if she was going to come and pick me up in high school after school, after cheerleading practice, it was assumed she'd be there by 4.30. Well, if she wasn't there, I'd just sit there and wait and wait and wait. And eventually, you know, she would come and pick me up. And as our kids have grown older, we now have access to so much more information. So like their grades online, you can constantly go online and check that. I never once checked. I, it's their responsibility. They need to take care of that. They need to email their teachers. They need to figure it out. Now, that's not to say that if my son comes to me and says, I don't know how to write an email, what should I say? What am I asking? I am going to help him with that because each time he does it, he gets a little bit better. Right. Now he'll say, can you just look this over for me to make sure I didn't forget anything? And I'm like, not a problem because now he knows how to craft a good email to communicate with his professors. So if your child's not communicating with um, emails to their teachers, as you said, here are the questions, you know, hit these when you go and talk to them. Try and get them to start doing that because when they get to college, the professors, guess what? They're not going to talk to a parent. They're only going to no. talk to a student. And when your child turns 18 and goes to college, unless they sign certain documents, the college will not talk to you <laughs> at all. Absolutely. Especially for financial aid. So you just got to get them in the habit of dealing with adults, even if it's little tiny things like going up to someone behind a counter and asking them a question from start to finish. Those little tiny things where you're standing in the background and they're ready to help them, 
will then give them confidence to keep doing that when they're out on their own instead of just being extremely shy the whole entire time and not putting themselves out there. Yeah. And that's a good point because I, one of my sons is super outgoing and one is a little bit more reserved. And I remember when they were little, um, you know, like just a regular, a random example, if we would go to a fast food place and we needed more ketchup, like I would send them, I make them take turns going up there to ask for stuff. You know, they'd be like, no, I don't want to talk to them. I'm like, you're just asking for ketchup. They have the ketchup. They're going to give it to you. Just go asking for the ketchup. And I remember at the time thinking like, this is good practice just to learn how to get out of your comfort zone and ask people for things. And so it's those little things that you can be doing when they're little to give them the confidence to handle those types of things as they get older. So if you haven't done that with your child to this point, there are always ways to start doing that and you can build that confidence in them. Because like you said, some people, they don't, they don't want to talk to you. Like right now with my, my son has a new job and periodically things come up and he'll say like, oh, I, I forgot to ask for this day off or whatever. Okay, well, you need to handle it. And so, you know, we'll discuss, like you said, well, he, what should I say? Okay, well, what do you think you want to say? And then I'll help him kind of edit it a little bit. And then he handles it. And of course, we're always there to support them and to teach them and to guide them. But I think the point that you're making is that you can no longer do it for them. Right. You have to prepare them to be self-sufficient when they are gone. And I think that that makes the separation down the line potentially easier for you as the mom because you know that they ha- that you have prepared them in the way that they should go. Right. Right? Once they're out of your house, there's nothing else you can do for them other than be there to support them. So while they're still with you, you teach them, here's everything I know to tell you. And now that I know that you're going to be okay, yes, my heart still breaks because you're not in my house, but it's at maybe at a different kind of intensity than worrying about how they're going to survive out in the wild without you. <laughs> Right. I know my husband um, sometimes gets annoyed when my eldest calls to ask a question about something. So the most recent one is that he had to go to the DMV in a different state and he had never gone to the DMV before by himself. You know, I've always gone with him around here or, you know, when he was 16. And so he called and said, I'm not sure what I need to do. I need to register my car and knew all the stuff. And I said, well, you need to go online and look at the DMV for that state. I'm sure there's something you have to download, do a little research. When you go in there, there's usually a line and you'll probably work through it and it'll just be fine. Because every, again, every new situation, I can help guide them just a little bit. I'm not downloading the form and filling it out for them. I'm telling them, this is my experience. It's just like if I had a, a best girlfriend asking what their experience was at a gym, I would maybe go with her for the first time and help her and show her the ropes a little bit. And so that's how I tried to explain it to my husband. And then he kind of understood it a little bit better. And I always joke with him, I'm, would you rather take the phone calls instead of me? I'm happy to give that to you. Like, no, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> yes. It's a similar thing to college preparation. So I went to college. I went to grad school. I did all of those things, but that was, you know, over 20 years ago. So now as my junior is starting to head down that road, I don't even know how to help him because everything has changed so much. So we are back to square one of relearning the process. But what I see happening around me is the parents are learning the process and then just kind of plucking the kid in when necessary to do it. 
Whereas I think my approach is going to be like, bro, you got to go to your counselor and learn the process. And then you can come to me and I will surely help you edit your essay or, you know, pay for whatever I need to pay for. But the process is not mine to learn. The process is yours to learn and I can guide you and help you do it. I can take you on the college tours. I can go, you know, with you to talk to them when I'm there. But the process is not mine. It's your process. And, you know, obviously I'll be there to support you. It's interesting you bring up that college um, experience because, of course, you'll have, you'll do a, um, let's say a mediocre job with your first son and then the second son, oh, you'll be on it. You'll know exactly what you're supposed to do. The second you know, child always gets like the benefit of your stumbles from the first one, of course. But what's interesting is that with my kids for applying for college, I made sure they sat with me. We did it together. They went out and asked their teachers for the references and the written um, letters and such. And I made sure that they were the ones reaching out to the colleges if they had a specific question about that. And it was interesting because a girlfriend of mine had her son. He did everything himself and no one checked behind him. And that terrified the you know what out of me. And I just said, wow, you are a brave lady. But if that works for you and your son... Okay, I couldn't. I couldn't uh, take my fingers out of the process that much. Yeah, just have a little teeny bit of control because I figured this is the rest of their lives, and if right. it's a box, you know, or check mark or something, I just want to make sure I was there. And again, I made them go out, as you were saying, and initiate everything. But I'm there to support them the whole entire time. Yeah, and the other thing is, you have to know your child. I mean, if your child is the kind of kid who would forget his head if it was not attached then yes, you might have to approach it slightly differently. But you're not helping that child by doing it for them. Correct. You still have to engage them and the process has to be predominantly them and not you. So let's say that I'm feeling pretty confident in that I've, I'm teaching my kids what they need to know to leave my house. How do I start to loosen up my own grip, my own, I don't know, controlling tendencies, my own, you know, because we've been momming for a long time up to this point. So how do I start to let go of that? And it's a hard one. I'm not going to sugarcoat this at all because I'm still right there with you. I think with time and as you are teaching your child new skills, you will start to be aware of times when you're like, ooh, I probably shouldn't have inserted myself there. How could I make that better? in the future. And again, awareness is the absolute key to the whole situation. And you also have to start looking at yourself and the sense that I love to control things. That's what I do. That's what I do as a mom. You know, I, I control the schedule. I might control the finances of the house. I might control who's going where and who's picking up whom. And as you do that, look and see what can I release and let go of. And I know it is so hard to do that. Again, I'm still controlling that too. My son, who is, again, going to junior college, I said, when do you have to sign up for classes? Mm, I don't know, next week. And of course, I'm hyperventilating because I'm like, <laughs> All right. you've got to register. And I just said to myself, you know what? It's his life. If he doesn't register in time, he's going to suffer the consequences of missing a whole semester's worth of college. I'm not. That, that's going to be 100% on him. And it is the only way he's going to learn from those mistakes. I'm going to be there to help pick up the pieces and tell them this is what you right. do next time. But I'm not, I was not about to go online and start filling out his information for him. So again, I think awareness is the key of looking at your life and how much do I control and how much should I start 
peeling back a little bit and allowing someone else to do it instead. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point is that we are we want our, we want the best for our kids. It hurts us to see them fail and it hurts us oh, to see them make a mistake. Especially when we've been trying to teach them and prepare them and you know, we want to protect them from that. But some of the best lessons people can learn is from their failures. It's from, you know, not eating lunch that day because you lost your lunch bag, you know, or whatever. So, although that one really hurts me because as an Italian person, like food is life. So that <laughs> I, I one would be hard. agree with that one. <laughs> that would be hard. But, you know, stuff like that. Like my son has, you know, forgotten, you know, a, a jersey or something for a sports team and the, the game was away. Well, dude, you're just sitting on the bench then for this game because I'm not going to drive, you know, Right. an hour to bring you a jersey because last night I reminded you to make sure you had all your stuff or whatever, you know? So it is painful to go through, but we have to recognize and remind ourselves that without those failures, you're not really cementing a lesson of how to be prepared and how to look after your stuff. Right. And, and I'll give you a tip about the lunch thing because my son never did it again. He forgot his lunch once. And so I decided to be the nice mom and drop it off. And I took my girly lunchbox and I put his lunch in my girly lunch. <laughs> and then I dropped it off to the front and with his sticky note on it. And the lady behind the counter, she was like, oh, I see what you did there. And I, and I got a very um, angry text message at lunch and I did not care. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's awesome. I like that. <laughs> what you were saying um, about the control and letting go and letting them learn from the mistakes. I want him to make as many mistakes as he possibly can while I still have them in the building so that I can yes. see their emotional reaction. Um, I can teach them how to do it a different way the next time, you know, and have a dialogue with them instead of saying, it's always my fault. I screwed this up. This is horrible. That, you know, I want to have the conversation continuing about why it's so important to learn from our mistakes. And as long as you don't do the same mistake again, then it's a lesson well learned. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of things. Even, you know, right now, um, the big issue is social media and technology. Um, and that's a really, you know, sensitive subject in some houses. But ultimately, obviously, you don't want them to be too young when they're involved in all that. But ultimately, it's better not to shield them for too long. Because while they're in your house, you can teach them and talk to them about this stuff and the dangers and how to use it wisely. And, you know, once they leave, it's going to be a free-for-all. You know, you, it's like I said earlier, it's going to be like the Wild West out there. You have no control over what they're going to be seeing or doing. So you're better off having some control of that when they're in your house and you can have a conversation about the pitfalls and how to use it wisely. And to that point, I'm, now I'm pretty cool mom, I guess you could say, or at least that's what my kids say. But when my um, younger son was here before he left for college, I had him taste different alcohols and have him understand how much is too much. And, and that way he could feel what it was like to be a little bit drunk at home and supervised. And I could, we could talk and dialogue and understand things because I didn't want him to get to college and go completely in a different direction without having some sense of what it's like when you kind of drink alcohol and how you feel like afterwards. So right. he's always appreciated that. And he didn't go crazy his first year, at least I don't think so. Again, I think all child, all children should have their own little secrets between, and that's fine. I don't need to know every detail. <laughs> I think I prefer it. Right. But again, it's just a way to have, as you say, control over a situation, but still have it be a learning opportunity for him at the same time. 
So when we come back, I'd like to talk about what moms like me can expect mentally, emotionally, once the kids are gone, because that I think is what is the hardest. Like I was saying earlier, it might be easier once we know we've prepared them, but there's still going to be that sense of loss. So when we come back, I want to get into that. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a minute today to thank our loyal listeners, the Josiologists, for taking a moment to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Those reviews help us so much because they help our podcast get found by people who don't actually know me in real life. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. One of our Josiologists, Mama Sarah, left a five-star rating as well as this review. Thank you, Josie, for sharing such a wealth of information. I just listened to Surf Therapy and to hear the victories for kids who have never spoken a word to speaking while they are in the water made me cry. Can't wait for the next episode to download. Thanks, Mama Sarah. I really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review. I hope that you subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode. Subscribing is free and it helps your phone automatically queue up the new episode when it airs. If you have any questions or aren't sure how to leave a rating or a review, please join us at the Josiology private Facebook group where we can answer all your questions. You'll need a password to get in because it is a private group. And the password for today is Empty Nest. Hope to see you there. So Alice, um, let's get real here. You know, I'm already crying now while they're still in my house and still in school when I think about their, you know, leaving the house. I mean, even recently, both boys went to a local young adults party um, who we know and we trusted them to be there. And my husband and I were home alone, which is becoming more of a regular thing around here. And we got to talking about, you know, wow, we're entering this new season of life where we're going to have more free time in the evenings, and um, which is great. But we also both got choked up like, wow, that went really fast. And, you know, I don't know how this is going to be, you know, like we were joking that we're going to have to like join a bowling league or something like we're going to need something to (laughs) occupy our time. So... I'm already anticipating it being kind of rough. So can we talk a little bit about what feelings I am likely to go through as this process happens? So the first thing I always tell people is whatever you're feeling is the right feeling for you. I don't care if you talk to someone else and you're like, oh, I should be like her. No, no, no. You might feel depressed one day. You might feel extremely anxious one day. You might feel lonely one day. You might feel angry. You might feel lost, like, what did I do and how did I get here? So whatever it is, it's 100% authentic to how you should be feeling. But with that said, I want to make sure that you also realize that you can think differently, change differently, and, and decide what you want to do rather than sitting in that kind of mess of emotions you know, at the same time. You're recognizing that right now. Just with them out of the house, you have that you know, definitely more time to yourself. Maybe you're not running them around in so many different directions. So you're getting more time back for yourself. You're getting more time with your spouse, which is really odd in itself. You know, um, my husband and I went on a Saturday, we went and saw a movie and decided to go to brunch and then went grocery shopping. And I said to him, wow, is this how it's like in our 20s? Because I've known him since we were really young. And he was like, wow, this is going to be cool. We didn't call anybody. We didn't have to check in with anybody. But then there's the days where I'm sitting there going, hmm, 
no one's called me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. No one loves me. And, and you can't have that attitude because you've raised them so that they can have their own life and you're just a part of their life now. You're not a hundred percent involved with every little tiny decision that they make. So if they don't text you or they don't call you, it's not about you. <laughs> they really might be busy and they might be doing things and that's okay. Again, my one son communicates with me all the time. My younger son does not when he was at college. So every two days, I would send him a text message and I would put P-O-L in it. And that stood for proof of life. And so, yeah. he, got really, <laughs> so he got really good with taking random photos of his, his ear, his finger, you know, just random things <laughs> to show me that he was still alive. And then that's funny. And then he would call me every once in a while. And but then again, I had a different relationship with him than I had with my um, elder son. So you just have to slowly move through it. And yes, you now have extra time, as you said. And you, yeah, have some fun with it. I mean, do you want to go out and join something else? Do you want to stay home? I know a lot of women who will take up different um, hobbies and uh, try and reconnect with friends or the key is is that your kids got you out of the house a lot all their activities meeting people going to the school going to events and so that all of a sudden may stop like dead stop and you might look around and think okay now i've got to actually socialize in a different way my kids not there to like as the buffer of the reason of why i'm actually in this space today so you have to kind of start putting yourself out there a little bit, and that can be a little scary and exciting at the same time. Um, it's like you're dating again, <laughs> maybe right. new girlfriends, meeting new people, and you just kind of have to start putting yourself out there just like you would have if you were younger. But I don't know. We seem to not have, some of us don't have as many inhibitions now that we're older. Maybe our brain has gotten too smart for us. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I think that, some parents, particularly moms, feel like they've lost themselves in that child-rearing period of time because you devote so much time to that. Even moms who worked, you know, I mean, I'm, it's not exclusive to stay-at-home moms. I mean, even moms who were employed outside the home will tell me that now that their kids are out of the house, they don't know who they are really anymore because that part of their life has changed. Maybe the work was always there. Um, so that's not really changed. That still exists. But the momming part, you know, that takes up so much of your brain, that's no longer really there. And so they feel kind of like an identity crisis. No, I, I completely agree. And I kind of went through that. I knew I was struggling. Like I, I carry a lot of my um, anxiety like in my chest. And so there was some times where it felt really, really tight and I just couldn't figure out what, what was the thing that was bothering me? What did I need to do to change? And, and over time, for me, um, writing it down helps me do figure out things. So that's I recommend that to a lot of my clients. If you like to write, that's the thing you do. Um, if you like to work out, sometimes you know ideas will come to you. Um, why do we always get great ideas in the shower? It's because no one is in the shower with us trying to communicate information. You literally can just sit there and actually have a conversation in your brain from start to finish when you're in the shower. So you just have to take the time um, and know that you'll get there and be nice to yourself. So I have, um, I help women, again, they'll have an idea of this is where I am and I'm not really happy with it and I want to build the bridge to get to this other place of where I want to be. And I try and help them figure out how to build that bridge to the other place by doing 
lots of different exercises, um, going internal. And it's a lot of work because they're confronting things that they didn't realize that were bothering them maybe in their life. Um, How do I figure out the next step that I want to do? How do I still have a relationship with my husband? How do I have a relationship with my kids? Because it definitely changes again when there are not kids as like, for lack of a better term, the buffer between other things. Well, yeah, because raising kids is um, a really good distraction from whatever else is bugging you. So now that you don't have that distracting you, a lot of your baggage, you know, appears at your front door and you're like, oh, now I have to deal with this. Yeah. I know. So, yeah. That- no one wants to do that. You know, that's hard. That's hard work to do with that. But once you start doing it, you will feel so much better. Now, I understand that you have a podcast that's related to your coaching. So if you could tell us about your podcast and then tell us how your coaching works for people. Like if people, you know, want to reach out to you to talk to you more or to learn more, do you also have a blog or how do they get more information from you? Sure. So I definitely have um, a podcast. It's called The Kids Are Grown Now What? So it's a bunch of different topics of our midlife or where we are and, you know, the loneliness of midlife, living with fear and regret. They're lovely girlfriends that love to tease you and (laughs) show you different things where you don't want to see them. And um, I also talk about kind of like menopause and where we are and how we get to the next place. Maybe you're going to new situations. How do you deal with new situations? Because a lot of times, again, you're going places that you haven't been before all by yourself. So, And I'm an introvert, so I kind of try and give advice to the fellow introverts out there, how to deal with different situations. Um, And then for contacting me, you can always go to my website, aliceagnello.com. And you can fill out and have a free session with me. Basically, it's discover what's next to try and just talk through some of the things that you might be feeling to understand what the next step could be for you. And that, of course, is 100% free. I love talking to people. I love helping them. I love having them have aha moments so they can say, oh, I didn't think of it in that way shape or form before. And then from there, if, they, if we want to work together, it's a six-month process. I think three months is way too short. It's just, it's too hard. It's too fast. And I want to have women be successful in a full six months and really get to where they want to be in those six months. You know, before we go, it occurred to me that oftentimes moms have a partner living with them, whether it's a husband or, you know, significant other, that may or may not be going through that same um, series of emotions that come with this. So if someone's partner is not feeling that way, what's a good way for the partner to support the mom or parent who is going through that? It's a tough one because men just want to fix it and they don't know how to fix it. And you want to talk about it. So there's definitely a disconnect. So it depends on how your partner likes to talk to you, if that makes sense. Most women, we want to talk about it. And even if our partners don't have a solution, we just want to talk out loud with someone else to have them, someone else listen. So if you have a partner who will do that, I always start out with a conversation is, okay, I, I know I don't want to fix this. I just want to talk to you about how I'm feeling just to kind of get it out there. And I'll try and figure it out what we need to do next. But I just want you to support me, to listen to what I have to say, and you don't have to solve it. I just want to kind of talk about it. 
because men handle things a lot different. Some men or partners I've known, they're struggling just as much as their wives are. And other men are like, get over yourself. What's the problem? All they did was move out. I don't know what, I don't, I don't see the problem here. Again, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for them to leave. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because the moms have been dealing with the kids. I'm not trying to diss dads here. I'm just saying it's a different dynamic in our household. Um, we've been there supporting, talking, laughing, loving, picking up the pieces for a number of years. And now we don't have to do that as much. And it's a definitely a huge adjustment for some of us. Do you think this is a cultural thing? I mean, do you think this happens in like, you know, Poland or England or India? Or is this just like an American process? I feel that it's an American process. And I don't know if it's because we have our kids with us for so long. We've got now new technologies that allow us to track our kids and know exactly what they're doing at every moment of the day if we want to. Um, I think, I know in Britain, they send their kids away to boarding school. So there's definitely a, a younger timeline that they have for that. Not, not everyone, but a lot of them do. You know, and in Italy, a lot of the families, they're there and, and together for a long time. I mean, they don't leave. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural norm that they stay with their families and, you know, maybe even move in together. So right. again, I think it's, we're taught when we're as young moms that our duty is to this child 100% and you can't make mistakes along the way because it will show up at some point, you know, somewhere else. And so we have this huge responsibility and guilt that we take along with that to ensure that this child that I was given will be raised 100% and functioning, you know, by the time they're 18. Some kids aren't. A lot of boys aren't. You know, my one son is still kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do. And I keep telling him, you don't have to go to college if you don't want to, you know, so it's okay to pivot and change and do other things nowadays you don't have to get this one job and that's the one thing that you do for the rest of your life. So I agree right. with you. I definitely think it's a U.S. cultural thing. It's interesting because on the one hand, I'm lucky to be going through this when there is so much connectivity through social media and technology, right? I mean, years ago, uh, you know, my parents didn't have that and, you know, grandparents didn't have that. It's like when you were gone, you're gone. I'm obviously assuming that you're moving out of state or something like that. But for some reason, even though there is so much connectivity, it still feels like such a hard thing to have to go through. So I'm just kind of a little fascinated by the whole um, emotional and, and mental process of it in light of the fact that we are so much more connected today. And I definitely think it depends also on how far away they may move away. So my my firstborn, he went to the University of Connecticut. So from where we live, it's like it could be an eight to 12 hour drive, you know, to get up to him. And we can't, we can afford to send him back and forth, you know, every other weekend or once a month. It's just, you know, it's not going to happen. So I am thankful for all the technology and being able to be there whenever he needed a question answered. Whereas again, my other son was an hour away and he barely communicated with me. <laughs> but for some reason, the distance was just in my mind, just way bigger than it really needed to be. Even though if I needed to be there, I knew I could jump in the car and drive up. You know, you know what I mean? So it's interesting because when I look at how I communicated with my mom when I was in college, it was maybe every once in a while, like I would get on the phone and then call her and then I would come home every other weekend just because again, we were like 30 minutes away. And so she had a, she told me she had a different 
transition period for me than let's say mine who went away done. I mean, you know, he's gone for months, you know, at a time kind of a thing. So I, I completely agree with you. Alice, thank you so much for coming on the show today and just kind of talking me through this. I, self, I feel like this was a totally selfish podcast episode, but I'm not going to apologize for it because I know that our listeners are going to get a lot of value from what you've told us. And I feel good knowing that everything that I'm going through now is totally normal and just part of the process. And I know I will survive when I get to the other side. So thank you for everything that you're doing in terms of your coaching and helping other women get through this. And I'm excited to listen to your podcast. Um, and I hope that my listeners will tune in to hear your podcast as well. Her podcast is uh, Kids Are Grown, Now What? Which is available on all the platforms. So you can search for that and tune in and learn more from our guest today, Alice Agnello. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Josie. I had a lot of fun. This is great. Thank you for listening to Josiology. Be sure to visit Josiology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Josiology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.